chapter 132, David and Zion chosen, a song of the ancient. Lord, remember David and all of the hardships he endured, and how he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. We heard the ark of Paratha. We found it in the field of Jar. Let's go to his dwelling place. Let's worship at his footstool. Rise up, Lord. Come to your resting place. You and your powerful ark. May your priests be clothed with righteousness, and may your faithful people shout for joy. For the sake of servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a promise he will not abandon. I will set one of your offspring on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and will decrease that I will teach them, their sons will also sit on the throne forever. So the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. I will make it my home here because I have desired it. I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation, and its faithful people will shout for joy. There I will make a horn grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown he wears will be glorious. The reason why we call this season, you may have heard it before, and actually we our, our joy, uh, uh, I guess, candle holder down here is, is a sort of like an Advent candle wreath, even though it's not a wreath. Uh, the reason why you've heard that before of like an Advent wreath or an Advent calendar, it's always anticipating what is coming. Advent is a word that simply means in Latin coming or arrival. So when we think about Christmas, we look back at the first coming of Christ, and it really pushes us to look towards his second coming. Just as his promises were for Israel and all of God's people, his promises are for us as the church, and we can trust him. So for the next few weeks, we're going to look, actually this week we're going to be in the book of Psalms, and then we're going to move to the gospel of Luke. And in Luke's gospel, uh, there are four different songs that are recorded in the Christmas story. There's the song of the angels, there's a song of Mary, there's a song of Zechariah, and there's a song of Simeon. And we're going to look at all of those throughout, through between now and the end of the year. But before we got there, we wanted to look at how the Psalms, how the Old Testament anticipated through song the advent or the arrival of the king. And what you see here is. Israel needs encouragement in a time of discouragement. And their encouragement is what our sermon is entitled today. Their encouragement is a promise, a promise, a song of ascents. This part of the book of Psalms is called the Song of Ascents. And these songs were sung during the Feast of Booths. Also, they were sung as, as Israelite men, as they made pilgrimages for three different festivals throughout the year to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of their worship. The temple was where God's presence
presence was. We know now that God's presence is among us. He lives in us. We are the temple of God. As 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 tells us, don't you yourselves know that you are now God's temple? His spirit lives in you. Well, in this time, the spirit of God indwelt the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was the Holy of Holies in the temple. And so the Song of Ascents was, were different songs that were recorded and that were likely sung not only during the Feast of Booths, but also when uh, Israelites were pilgriming to uh, Jerusalem during these festivals for a reminder of God's promises. And so what we see here is in this season, even us in this season, we need a reminder of the good news of Jesus. Do you need the reminder of good? I mean, Laura and I look at our bank account all the time and we need a reminder of the good news of Jesus. Y'all got to say amen to that. I know all y'all are there too. Um, uh, just actually a few, uh, last time we were with y'all two weeks ago, our family, we had our Thanksgiving meal, and I remember saying at that meal, we need to be thankful for those who are here. We're not guaranteed that we're all going to be here next year. And I don't know if y'all know, but Miss Dale's husband passed away this past week, Miss, Mrs. Tracy, who sits in the back, and um, we praise God for Tracy's life. But Miss Dale needs promise and hope during the season where her husband is no more. Our family has gone through sickness right before uh, the Thanksgiving. Braden uh, had a flu and we were quarantining ourselves from him. Laura came down with bronchitis and then we all caught COVID in Texas. It was incredible, you know, right? We all, the <laughs> Albert family's been out for like a month with sickness, you know, like we, we all need hope and we all need promise during the season. Some of us are struggling financially. Some of us are struggling with our health. Some of us are struggling just watching what's happening on TV. Like we all need hope and promise in this season. This is what these songs of ascent were. And what we're looking at today, you may have never heard a Christmas story preached from Psalms 132, but I want to show you how Psalms 132, like many Psalms, actually it begins with Psalms 2, who anticipates the anointed one, the Messiah. But Psalm 132 we see the anticipation that God's promises will come to pass and they were fulfilled in a manger in Bethlehem. So let's go through that Psalm that Liam read for us. And we're going to look at how God has given us a promise. That's our big idea that God has given us a promise. And that's what we rest in during the season. God has given us a promise, whether we've lost loved ones, whether we uh, anticipate one day when we will see people that we miss. I, I was thinking about Lila this past week who lost her father. I was thinking about like, I was looking through pictures and I was thinking about um, some of y'all, most of y'all don't know him. Uh, maybe Tim Weller remembers him. My friend, Tim Piglia, uh, who's a good friend of mine. Second person we ever led to Christ. My mom remembers Tim. Uh, I married Tim on New Year's Eve less than five years ago. Tim was only 32 years old. Little did I know that he would pass away three months later on missions in India. Like, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. This is a time where we look back and we, you know, the holidays are a time of depression for a lot of people because you're not getting what you anticipate or you're, you're remembering what you don't have. Now is the time for us to remember that God is there in the valleys and in the mountains. As we sing, and we looked like Israel did to a song of ascent, climbing a mountain, which is what they did. Uh, they had to, they, their climb was like an elevated climb when they were walking to Jerusalem. 
as we, as they look towards the temple at Zion, we look towards God's promise of Zion. That is no longer just a place. It's a people. And it's his presence that will inhabit that place. We look all the way to Revelation chapter 21, where it says a new heaven and a new earth. And this is one, actually one thing I shared with Lila this past week. He'll wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more and pain shall be no more. He'll make all things new. That in this Christmas season, as we look back at the baby born in a manger, we anticipate what they were anticipating, the hope that's to come. So God has given us a promise. In the first five verses that I'm going to read again of Psalm 132, we see that we should remember the promises of God. Let's read those first five verses again together. Lord, remember David and all the hardships he endured. David to them was a symbol of God's covenant of his promise. And he swore an oath to the Lord, making a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. The mighty one of Jacob is a common term for God's victorious power in warfare in the Old Testament. God is a warrior. He fights on our behalf and he protects his people. I will not enter my house or go into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep or my eyelids to slumber until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. We remember the promises of God. Likely this, the book of Psalms were compiled. There's 150 of them. And there were other songs that were floating around, but these were the most trustworthy, reliable 150 songs that were sung by God's people. They were compiled after Israel returned from captivity. And they were likely compiled during captivity and when Israel returned from captivity as a reminder of God's promises. You got you to gotta know Solomon's temple was ransacked and destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. So the first temple was gone. Y'all remember Ezra and Nehemiah, how they rebuilt the altar and the temple and Israel returned back to the promised land. So that's what was happening. And this, these Psalms, which were written over a number of centuries, these particular Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134, these songs of ascent were a reminder that God was still going to be faithful to fulfill his promises. Even though there was no longer a building at the moment on the Mount in Zion, God had chosen that as his dwelling place and a new temple would be built as the book of Nehemiah and Ezra show us. It says, remember, remember David, all the hardships that he endured, possibly even remembering what David did to prepare the temple. Even though David didn't build the temple, it was fulfilled by his son. We know from 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles chapter 22, David made preparations for the temple, a dwelling place for God. David didn't move, David didn't move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem until his proper time. So Ark of the Covenant symbolized God's presence. God's presence inhabited the temple in Jerusalem. So, so Israel right now is calling upon God to remember the promises that he had already given. Then we see in the next two verses, verse six and seven, we heard of the Ark in Ephrathah, and the word there for Ephrathah represents the region that Bethlehem is in. Maybe you remember, maybe you've read Micah chapter five before, but the, the prophecy of the coming king, we hear Bethlehem Ephrathah, which means Bethlehem and the surrounding region. 
You are small among the clans of Judah, but one will come from you who will be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from of old, antiquity, ancient times. Therefore, Israel will not be, will be abandoned until the time when her labor has given birth. And then the rest of the rulers, the brothers will return with the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord in the majestic name of the Lord is God. They will live in security. And for then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth and he will be their peace. This is the Jesus that was born to us and promised that we now live in. So God's people didn't just remember the promises of God. They lived out the promises of God. We see that we heard of the ark, God's presence in Ephratah, and we found it in the fields of Jar. And in verse seven, he says, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Let's gather and worship. Let's gather with God's people, remembering who he is. We live out the promises. Because of his promises, we can get through the dark times together. We remember that God is with us and he is pleading. No longer do we have to go to a temple. They had to go to a temple. No longer do we have to go to a temple and confess our sins. We go straight to God. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. The curtain to the temple has now been torn in two. Y'all remember? Jesus died, and upon his death, the temple was curtain was torn in two. In fact, actually, the dead raised. Like it's you don't hear about the zombie. We don't hear that story, but it shows that Jesus is is powerful even over death, and now we have direct access to him. That's why Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 12 through 16 shows us how we have access to God. We have access to God through his word and through the spirit indwelling us. It says, for the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do y'all know that we don't necessarily read God's word as much as God's word reads us? Like when we read God's word, we realize who he is and who we aren't. Something supernatural happens when we are proclaiming God's word and we're hearing God's word. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed before the eyes of whom we must give an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through heaven. This is talking about Jesus, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to this confession for we don't have a great high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. The promises of God are a reminder that we don't have to be worthy to come before God. God is the one who makes us worthy to come before him. When you were saved, when he saved you, he saved you from your past, present, and future sins. Now, it doesn't mean that you keep on going and sinning, but what it does mean is that when you sin, God is not a good father that kicks you while you're down. God is a good father that helps you get up and continue to run and walk towards him. In fact, did you know that God prays for us even when we don't know what to pray? 
You know, Ephesians, I mean, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, because when we don't know what to pray as we should, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searched our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As they gather in the dwelling place, worshiping at the footstool of the king, footstool is the thing at the bottom of the throne. Y'all know uh, it's, it's where we go. We, we have confidence, like the book of Hebrews says. We have access, direct access to God, and we get to bow at his footstool and worship. So we live out the promises of God. Third is this, we get to call on the promises of God together. So we remember the promises of God, we live out the promises of God, and we call on the promises of God. Let's read verses 8 through 12 together. It says, rise up, Lord, come to your resting place, you and your powerful work. We don't put God to the test, but God is a God of promise. We don't have to remind God of his promises, but when we invoke his promises, there's a certain authority there. Why? Because the authority doesn't come from us. It comes from God's word. That's why Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's why the gates of hell can't shut down the church in China. It can't shut down the church in Iran. It can't shut down. Y'all know we've talked about that. The church in China is now one of the largest churches on planet Earth, and it's illegal to gather there in non-government sponsored and neutered church. I say neutered because y'all know that China is now writing their own version of the Bible to really kind of show that loyalty to the emperor. To the, they're adding to God's word. So you can't even, this is why separation of church and state sometimes is a good thing. And, and let me clarify that. Because when the state is not following God and they have a neutered religion that isn't true, then they lead many people astray. What we should know is that all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And even though our religion doesn't control the government, the people who, who are in the government should be guided by the King of Kings, right? So the government doesn't tell us when and where we gather. We are free as God's people to choose that. And what we see in China today is that the spirit is moving in a place where the gospel is not accepted. So what do they do when they're persecuted? They just cry out to Jesus because his words are powerful. His words command, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Rise up, Lord, come to your resting place. You and your powerful ark, may your priests. Now, back then, the priests were the ones who mediated uh, God's relationship with the people. But now we, I hate to break it to you. Maybe you call your pastor a priest. I hate to break it to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a priest. Congratulations, right? The Bible says that we're a kingdom of priests who are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. The book of Revelation chapter one, uh, there's a prayer that we would be made a kingdom of priests, his glory. Like we are, in, because here's the thing. We no longer have a holy man that, that gives us access to God. Each and every one of us have direct access to God. And yes, we do have leaders. We have pastors, elders, shepherds, all those things. But we now get to bring Jesus directly to people. 
That's our job. That's what the spirit of God living in us empowers us to do. So may your priests be clothed with righteousness and your faithful people shout for joy. Y'all, we should, like this thing says, right? This season shouldn't be a time of despair, but it should remind us of the promises of God, even in hope and despair. And we should have joy because joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is there even in the midst of sorrow and joy comes in the morning for the sake of your servant, David. Again, they're crying out on behalf of God's word and his promise. Do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a promise that he will not abandon. I will set, and here's where the Messiah comes into place. I will set one of your offspring on your throne. If your sons, now here there's a conditional part to this covenant. If your sons keep my covenant and my decrees, I will teach them and their sons who will sit on your throne forever. We have a part to play in what God has called us to do. We call upon the name of the Lord. We live out his promises and his hope. That's how the world knows that we have hope in darkness because of the way that we are responsible in light of what God has promised to you and to me. Do y'all know that before Israel was called God's people, before the New Testament, we were called Christians or even the church or ecclesia or a gathering. Do you know what the very first thing that separated pagan people from people who were set apart from Jesus? You go all the way back to Seth and his sons. And it says, Seth's sons, they, they began to call upon the name of the Lord. For the very first time, you saw people who were distinct from the evil that so surrounded them. God's people were marked by prayer. God's people were marked by his presence. God's people have always been those who cry out to him. So we call upon the promises of God. And I encourage you to do that this Christmas season. If something is going wrong, if, if maybe more loss, cry out and call on the promises of God. If you're witnessing to your neighbor and your neighbor just doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, call on the promises of God. There is power in his name. Lastly, we see this, all this, remembering the promises of God, living out the promises of God, calling on the promises of God. All this points us towards that we should trust in the promises of God. We trust in the promises of God. When we look at Advent, when we light candles, as we move towards our Christmas season, we're reminded that the light of Christ is here. Just as they dwelt in the land of darkness, on them light has shone. We ourselves now have the light of Christ. Verses 13 through 18, for the Lord has chosen Zion. God has chosen his place to dwell. He has desired it for his home. This is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I've desired it. Verse 15, I will abundantly bless its food. Praise God. Amen, right? I will abundantly bless its food. That's why Cajuns, we have a spot at the marriage supper of the lamb, right? think Miss Faye is going to be given a job somewhere there. You know, like we are, we are blessed. I, I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation. And its faithful people will shout for joy. The word here for faithful people, maybe in your translation of the Bible says saints. The word there for saints is chesed. And it mirrors the word hesed. In, in the Hebrew, what does hesed mean? Can anybody tell me that? 
Anybody ever heard that word chesed? I know our doctor, our doctor down there has. What does that mean in the Old Testament? It means God's covenant love. Chesed is God's covenant loyal love. It's what the kinsman redeemer mirrored in the book of Ruth. Hesed can't be really, it can't be defined in one term or phrase other than it encompasses all of God's unfailing love to his people. And the reason the author chooses the words for saints or anointed chosen ones and Hesed, the reason they sound so alike is because we share the promises of God. The way that God pursues us, the way that God longs for us to be in his presence, so should we pursue other people and long for them to be in his presence. It's faithful people. It's chastened will shout for joy. There I will make a horn grow for David. Anybody ever been in a church service and someone blow a shofar horn? Anybody ever? Like we had a, we had a mixed service with our Messianic Jewish church that we had. Uh, met on Saturdays at our my, the first church I served at, and we met together on uh, Sunday morning actually for worship together. And I, Laura might have been on the worship team; she might remember this. We were singing "Mighty to Save," and it was like "Savior," like it scared the snot out of me. You know, like what this is referring to is back then they the rams or or, or bulls or things like this they would take the horn and. One, it symbolized a warrior. And then when you blew out of the horn, it symbolized a victor's cry. So what we see here, and the reason why some Christians and even some Messianic Jews still use and blow shofar horns is because it's a reminder of the advent that we not only celebrate the first advent, but we anticipate the coming again, the second advent of Jesus. And what we see here is that he says, I will make a horn grow for David. I will give David's people victory. They will not, yes, they may be defeated in a moment, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed one. The lamp is what lit up the temple. It was, y'all know, even in Revelation talks about lampstands. The lamp was what lit up the temple, and it was a sign of God's enduring presence. So the son of David, y'all see how the Christmas story is right here, right? The son of David will be a light of God's presence for us for all time. And then it says, I will choose, I will clothe his enemies with shame. That kind of sounds like me to the cross of Jesus Christ, right? It is finished. It is done. But the crown that he wears will be glorious. A crown is a representation of authority. It's a representation of victory. It's a representation of power. And on our king of kings, was placed upon him a crown of thorns. Little did they know that crown didn't bring him shame. That crown showed us what he overcame. Y'all need to hear that again. That crown didn't bring him shame. That crown is a symbol for us for what he overcame. That's the king that we trust in. That's the king that we rely on. That's the king that is anticipated that God will again fulfill his promises and he'll raise up a new David, an everlasting David. And that David's name is Jesus. And how do we know this? Well, Jesus' birth was fulfilled. Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse two. 
the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shown. You skip down a little bit later. Y'all have heard these verses before. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Y'all, anyone that's placed in power is there because of the king. Not to say that they're Christians. They are there because God had a purpose for Pharaoh. God's purpose for Pharaoh was to bring about his eternal purposes. And his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David, over his kingdom, he will establish and will uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal, the joy, the, the, the pleasure of the Lord will do this. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, in the region of Ephrathah, God's presence showed up in a miraculous way for us in a manger. No longer did we have to obey a list of rules or a covenant. No, was it conditional? The only condition was that we said yes to this baby born in a manger. It's not sweet little baby Jesus that we make fun of. This same baby was born to die so that you and I could have life. That's the promise. That's the Advent promise that we get to trust him in, that we get to call upon his name in, that we get to live out, that we get to remember this Christmas season. Remember, God has given us a promise. And when God gives us a promise, it comes to pass. So if you're like me and you're sick as a dog on your birthday, on Thanksgiving Day, y'all didn't know that, right? Birthday's on Thanksgiving Day. I kind of hated that as a kid because I didn't get, everybody pins money on your shirt when you go to school here. I never got the money, but I also didn't have my friends punching me. Y'all remember that? Boys growing up, you, you punched your friends on their birthday. Also didn't get birthday licks, you know? But this season, if falling on Christmas, I was sick as a dog with, I didn't know at the time, COVID. In those moments of darkness, when you want to be with your family, when all doesn't seem to go right, remember, I have Jesus. I have Jesus, and that's all that I need. And, and that needs to be the testimony of everyone that we know this Christmas. So who do you know that's living in a land of darkness? Let's bring them the light of Jesus. The same light the songs of sent point us towards. Let's remember that this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us a promise. Lord, I pray this Christmas season, we would remember that promise. We would live out that promise. We would call upon that promise. We would trust in that promise. God, help us to remember that your name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is our promise, and that is the purpose in which we live. It's in your name that we proclaim that together. Amen.